1: Recorded live.
0: Sit back and enjoy
1: an hour of Bigfoot Radio with callers and guests. It's the Bigfoot Field Guide Radio Show with your hosts, Sharon and Dre. Join us as we talk about everything Bigfoot. Sponsored by the Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center. Now here are your hosts, Sharon and Dre.
2: Good evening and welcome to the April 23rd installment of the Bigfoot Field Guide Radio Show. I'm your co-host Sharon Lee, along with our co-host Dre. Hi Dre. Hello.
1: Hey. Hi. How's it going,
2: guys? Everybody happy out there? Woo! Any drama this week that we want to talk about? No, we never want to talk about it. No. the The
1: first th- first things first. Jeff is not with us tonight. Um, he did not run away from home. He just had to work. I can't hear you. You can't hear me. Dre. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hmm. hello oh wow i lost you hey am i back yes you're back okay all right we lost well we don't have jeff with us is what i was saying okay are you done with that
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm done (laughs) <laughs> okay, good. Well, Jeff yeah, Jeff has got some other business to attend to for this show. So uh, we encourage everybody to call in tonight. We're going to take phone calls and talk to some of you guys if you want to talk to us and ask questions or talk about your research, what's going on. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about the um, Memorial Day weekend expedition we have coming up. If anyone is interested in attending this expedition, MABRC members are requested to contact Darkwing, via the website, and give him your intentions so we can make a better plan of where to put people, how many people to expect, and our plan of attack. Can we talk about where it's going to be and all that good stuff? I don't know. DW, can we? <laughs> I mean, I think everybody knows. Yeah, it's I think annual, I it. it's, it's an annual thing, pretty much, this Memorial Day weekend expedition that the MA, MABRC puts on. We're going to be in Hanover, Oklahoma. And actually, Dre and I have to fly into Tulsa, and then our sweet little sensor tech is going to pick us up and drive us for three hours to uh, the area where we're going. And uh, it's going to be a good time. And yeah. I, told, I told DW he could get me Diet Coke, and I'll eat anything except for squirrel brains. So Yikes. I'm set. <laughs> Yikes. Diet
1: Pepsi and Low carb. Low carb. Yeah. Are you still doing the low-carb thing? I am. I am, because I want to be ready for the expedition. I want to be ready to run through the woods at full force towards a big monkey, and in order to do that, I, ha- I had to drop a lot of weight. I've lost
2: 60-some pounds now. So. That's amazing. That's amazing, and I, I don't know if DW's still doing his thing, but I hope he is. I hope he's sticking with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. We all got to get into squatching mode. That's right. Woo! All right. All right. So do we have our uh, Momo on the line?
1: We do not have Momo yet. Momo, if, if you can call in, we'll we'll go ahead and get started on you, and then we'll take some calls from people uh, and get this up. And I will right now put the phone number up here one more time so that if anyone wants to call in, the show ID is also right there, right beside of that as well. So that is uh, the phone number
2: 724-444-7444. Show ID is one zero zero seven two. And um, for the Memorial Day expedition, I've never been to Oklahoma during that weekend, and I hear that there's going to be a couple little snakes out maybe and some mosquitoes, so somebody have a uh, snake, what do you call that, snake bite kit ready. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hey, I think we got Momo
1: on the line. Momo. How are you doing? Hey, buddy. What's going on?
3: Not much. I'm sitting in front of my computer listening to you guys. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> we are just sort of winging it right now, so I thought we would uh, we go ahead and take you a little early and uh, talk to you a little bit. I don't believe what your occupation says. Uh, if, if if it's okay, we'll tell everybody your your first name there if you'd like.
3: Um. Well, my name's Scott, but I go by Scotty the Clown in my professional life. I'm a professional rodeo clown and a retired bullfighter.
1: Nice. Wow. I have never met a professional rodeo clown, so I, I have to say I'm I'm. I'm in awe. Dre, have you ever met a professional clown at all? I have. I'm, I know you. I know you beyond that. I, I don't really know of any.
3: I bet you she's dated a few. <laughs>
1: oh, I love you, Scott. Where's the little rim shot? All right. Well, tell, us, tell us a little bit about your home life, Scott.
3: I've been married to the same wonderful lady for 25 years. She tolerates a lot of stuff out of me, and... uh we're the proud parents of four really wonderful children. Three of them are grown. Got a really cool 14-year-old daughter still hanging out around the house and two grandkids, a couple of horses, three dogs, a turtle, and a kitty, you know.
1: <laughs> Typical oh my American God. family. You have a zoo.
3: Pretty much. Working on it.
1: Awesome. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do uh, kind of in your spare time, kind of hobbies, stuff like that.
3: Um, I'm... I play bluegrass and Celtic music online. Uh like like that old school stuff. You know, we're talking you know, music that was written two and three hundred years ago sometimes. So uh that's that's kinda of my hiding place and then uh spend a lot of time in the in, in, in God's wonderful creation. I, I love the outdoors and uh my sons and I are avid fishermen and, and avid hunters and we spend a lot of time a lot a lot of time in the brush.
1: All right. Well, have you had anything um uh Bigfoot related, any activity happening to you lately?
3: Uh as a matter of fact, yes. Uh uh for some of you guys who don't know me, I'll give you just a little bit of background. Uh up till about five years ago I was a definite skeptic as far as uh North America being the habitation of a onion cataloged North American ape. And um, one night I was driving down the road and had one cross cross in front of me. And uh, my life hasn't really been the same since. And uh been involved with research pretty heavily the last two or three years. And then uh, uh, it's, it, it occupies a lot of my time whenever we get out in the woods, mushroom hunting and things. So uh, which leads me to Friday night. Uh, my sons were wanting to spend some time with me. We uh, were going to go fishing. So we picked a spot that I thought would be, kind of squatch-free, and throughout the course of the evening, uh, we got there, there were some dogs howling up at the north end of the location where we were at, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of owls across the lake, and every once in a while, I would hear a chattering noise similar to a to a raccoon, right. and um, I kind of hooted at the owl just to kind of see what they do, only it was more of a whoop than a, than a hoot, and everything on the lake went absolutely silent. You could have heard a pin drop, and uh, the noise picked up after a little bit, and uh, the fishing was slow, and okay, I'm going to admit to doing a no-no. Uh, but the docks were marked not to be fishing from them,
0: mm-hmm. but at
3: 1, 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning, I didn't think anybody would notice, so I was at the end of one dock fishing, and uh my son made a comment that he thought he heard a boat coming and it might be the conservation agent. So I hurriedly ran up the, uh, the boat dock and reeled up my fishing line and come around to a little inlet between the bank and, and the dock and cast my line back in. And I stood there for a moment and I heard a, an initial sound that initially I thought was a, uh, was a bullfrog noise.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then I listened to it and it was an exhale. Uh, kind of a nasal exhale. Uh, so I want to see if I can I can do something here similar. I don't know if that came across or not. Yeah, but this was, yeah, that did. This was extremely low, very deep, and actually reverberated.
0: And And um,
3: I heard it one more time, and and I realized what was going on because I have had some encounters in the past and um, one of my sons was standing there, and I go, did you hear that? And he goes, yeah, it was breathing. And about that time, we heard it again, and it was low, and it was deep. Mm -hmm. Well, at that point in time, this boat came around the point, and uh, it was, of course, full dark, and I noticed my uh, fishing bobber that I had in the water it appeared that it had, it had moved, and I didn't want to lose that pole, so I ran over to gra- grab it and still yet trying to watch what was going on up in the corner. And uh, well, my other son said that he could see something swimming in the water, and uh, just kind of right where the light and the dark met. There was a lot of street lights in the area. Uh, it was a, it's a regular, this area is a, is a regular boat ramp. Uh, people in and out all areas that was one reason i i chose it i didn't think we'd have anything happen (laughs) and um so i did see the wake i didn't see the actual shadow under the water but we stood there and watched it for watched watched things for a little bit and the far bank uh the opposite of the cove where we were um we saw a dark figure exit the water well, about that time, the the boat comes in, and the guys did what they needed to do, and they left again, back out on the lake, course of about five minutes. And uh, we decided that we were going to go ahead and leave. It was about one thirty in the morning. Um, fish weren't biting. It was getting cold. And we were kind of shook up from, from the noises we'd heard in the water, you know, moving. So uh, we uh, got into our vehicle and uh, turned on the headlights and decided to kind of glance down at the area where I heard the noise with the headlights
0: mm-hmm. and didn't
3: hear anything. And um, just kind of over a little rise in the parking lot, I you would be able to see the opposite cove. So I thought I would just scan with the headlights to see what we could see. And um, at that point, we picked a dark figure standing between two trees uh, across the small cove from us given an estimate of 150 to 200 yards. Wow. Um, And um, it would slightly rotate its body to the right and uh, kind of glance at us. We could make that much out, the action. We couldn't take out a lot in the way of of, of any features in the face. Did you see eyes shine? um, Early, just prior to that, one of my son's thought he saw some red eye shine,
2: okay. which
3: I found interesting because he's not as heavily into the squatch thing as as Dad is, and uh, and that kind of piqued my interest a little bit, and actually I think that's probably the statement looking back on it that caused me to want to shine my headlights across the lake.
0: Hmm.
3: And, uh, well, I went to readjust the vehicle so that we could uh, maybe get a better look, and at that time... The figure uh, turned to the left and got into a four-point stance. And um, I immediately pulled the vehicle forward again. At that time, the figure took a couple of steps, stood up and looked between a fork of a tree. And every once in a while, you could see the body rotate to the left where it, where it revealed a, 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 a knee you could see the knee of what I'm assuming to be the left leg right now
1: uh, what and, how, uh, how tall would you say he was
3: um you know right now I don't have any scope for measurement to reach this location I need a boat uh, oh, okay. there, there's a, there's a marsh area between where we could walk in and and to get to it it's it's fairly it's fairly inaccessible by foot and uh, so I haven't had a chance to get over there so we could uh do some comparison photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with something of a known you know, one of us of a known height. So, but uh what I was impressed with about this uh about this figure uh, was its mass. It was it was very, very thick. Um the neck was was not pronounced. Uh it, the head literally appeared to kind of sit on top of the shoulders. Uh, you could make out in the silhouette uh, that it was muscular, that that it was bulky, and that it was quite strong, and appeared to be a very, very deep dark black in color. Oh, wow. And we were able to observe this creature for probably a good solid 15 minutes. Uh, We had no way of trying to record anything. I tried to take a stooge. Uh, The legs were... I couldn't make him out they were they were in they were in some brush uh it's starting to get a little weedy um, assuming uh as if he was standing on the ground where I thought he was Stooge, I'm going to say that it was proportional because uh if the ground was where I thought it would he should have been about that height uh just just looking at it in balance if that makes sense so uh we decided to let this uh this this little creature just go along his merry way and, you know, cause I think at this point in time we were uh, probably upsetting him as much as he was upsetting us. So, uh, <laughs> so that's where we decided to part as friends. Uh, I do have an ongoing habituation study in, and and research program going on in a location west of there. And, uh, I, I don't want to get them all shook up. So, uh, I, uh, if I uh, just kind of wanted to leave leave things be and try to let, let this particular animal relax.
2: Okay, uh, <laughs> let me let me ask you this. And, and you went you... back uh, the next day. Pardon, Momo.
3: Yeah, can you hear me? I could hear you. Okay.
2: Did you go back the next day to take? to take pictures or look for prints or anything. But it was in the marsh so you wouldn't be able to get any prints. Yeah,
3: we, we didn't go back. We had some family obligations and uh and I'll be honest with you, I would have had to go into the area by myself.
0: Oh and
3: this is gonna sound strange. Uh I've I've induced encounters before, uh as a researcher in the field when I've when I've had a feeling they were around. And I've done things, you know, where I've been hooted at. Um I've I've had rocks thrown at me and actually had a face-to-face confrontation with a large male last May. Wow. And, um, but until oh. till that night, that's the first time they've ever really shook me up. I mean, I, I was legitimately scared. I mean, I did not hear this animal arrive. We did not hear it leave its location. Hmm. All we knew is that it was there. <clears throat> and uh, so it's... Uh, Kind of living life because my my initial encounter was in a vehicle. This was different because it was dark and uh, and I mean it, it, he breathed thirty feet from me.
0: Wow! And
3: didn't know he was there and uh, that that really shook me up, girls. I It really did.
1: Well, so, if uh, you if you if you look back to your uh, the the first time you ever saw a creature like in 2005, and then you know what you've been seeing. Uh, lately, would, would you say that they look alike, or are even the same silhouettes? I mean, everything just kind of blends together.
3: Well, you know, I haven't had really good close looks. There's, we've we've experienced a variety of colors. Um, we, we work with a we were working with a gentleman pretty extensively out of British Columbia, who has helping us understand some tree signs. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used that technique one day. I had my daughter and my son with me, and we were following what appeared to be a trail. Um, I got the impression someone was behind a brush, while I was behind some trees. While I was trying to photograph that, uh, I'll get to Steve's question in one minute. And uh, okay. well, they were sitting there looking face to face with two of them, and my daughter described the one she saw. It's kind of a brownish-gray with a white face and and uh, with a white, for, you know, with uh, darker speckles on the face. So now, uh, Stooge, uh, to answer your question, uh, it sounded close enough to a coon that it could have very well been. Uh, if it was an imitation, it was a very good one. Uh, I've been on expeditions where I've heard them imitate owls and they don't quite get it, you know, uh, but... Uh, Yeah, you know, at this point, it could have been a coon. And uh, what I heard, I was just mouthing off uh, across trying to get the owls to hoot back as well.
1: Do you you have any plans on putting any uh, trail cams up or anything like that, any type of gear?
3: Well, uh, trail cams, I've I've got a theory as to why they don't work. Right. uh, And uh, with the red light on the front of them, I believe these animals can see in infrared. And uh, if you've ever been in an old school dark room, uh, where you're doing like uh, p- photo developing, if you're underneath a red light and anything that's 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 red glows white, and I've got a speculation that that may be why we have a hard time catching them on game cams.
1: Yeah, and also Sensor Tech could probably call in and and talk to us about this uh, as well. But um, uh, anything that has a circuit board emits a high frequency tone anyway. In most cases, especially run on battery power. So you're between those two things. You're probably right.
3: So uh, you know, it's uh the uh, the technology you know in our pocketbooks haven't quite met with what I think we can do to be successful as far as establishing proof. Uh, but, that, but that's not my goal. I'm uh, I, w- I want to learn about the animal. I want to learn about the creature. I want to I want to find out what it is about this animal that has caused it to be so aloof that 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 it's very very difficult for us to find it at will right. and uh we've 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 been in areas where we knew they were there and you can look and you can do all kinds of things but until they decide to kind of reveal themselves or a young one kind of makes a mistake um you know kind of a what I would call maybe a juvenile teenager aged creature uh you, you don't see a thing Uh, and I think they get off on on messing with us. Mm
2: -hmm. So
3: so we just try to mess back around here.
2: Okay. I have a question about the tree signs. You said you were working with someone from British Columbia who was giving you advice on that. Um, What type of tree sign is typical? I know that you see a lot of the pictures that our other researchers post on the website. Is that typical of what really is Bigfoot tree signs?
3: Well, we don't we don't find a lot of TT type structures. Uh, okay. At least that hasn't been been what we've uh, experienced here. We see a lot of tree bends with tree limbs sitting on top of them, uh, tree snaps, um, intricate web-like structures that you can see where they've propped up sticks underneath it to hold things up. Uh, you know, and of course, you know you don't know if it's squash built until you actually see a squash built it right right you know but uh it's it's different enough from things that are natural that you know we've we've gone ahead and tried to look for other structures near them and and try to follow established trails and and a lot of the times 50 to 60% of the time minimum it it leads to some sort of an encounter uh it really kind of blows their mind when you're going to their places you're on their trail and you're messing with their stuff and, uh, that's, that's kind of our approach to what we're doing. And whenever they show up, we try to sit down, we try to relax and, and try to let them get comfortable with
2: us. Now, what about wood knocking? Have you ever experienced that in your area?
3: I haven't experienced it in my area, uh, but a couple of times, I've been on research sites in Texas and a couple of other places where we've experienced wood knocks and, uh, I, I personally don't do that because I don't know what it means yet, and I, do, you know, I don't want to like warn them and chase them away. So I let them do their things, and I do mine.
2: Okay. So oh. uh,
3: if that makes sense, uh, we we find several tracks, and and uh, a lot of people have a hard time buying into the fact that there is a population here, which is. Fine by me because then we don't get a we don't get an onset of uh, other other people's researchers coming out and and messing with our pigfoots. You know we can kind of let them do what they need to do and we can do ours. So um, I can kind of wait for questions now. Sorry about kind of taking over the conversation. But
2: oh, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, that's fine.
3: Now we've uh <laughs> my, my background in animal behavior. I've been a horse and dog trainer for for 30 years and uh worked with a lady from a Equine Studies Institute for for 4 years and uh and we we've really we we developed uh, our own kind of system of natural horsemanship and natural 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 dog relationships and uh we're trying to extend that here and uh that philosophy and our uh you know we're we're trying to figure out what with this animal what its motivations are what its needs are you know, uh, what it requires in the way of habitat and, and just trying to get into those areas and being low key. And uh, so uh, too low in volume. Oh, oh, so it was well censor? Was you talking to me there? But uh, so, uh, you yeah, know, I'm open for questions now. I'm sorry. So what's okay.
2: Uh, hey, Scott, um, I have a, Someone wants to ask about your face-to-face encounter. Could you give us a little detail on that?
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. It uh, happened the second week of May last last year at a little research area that I'd been chasing things around, and uh, I found an old shed that was uh, pretty dilapidated. This area had been a park for about 25 years, and there uh, hadn't been a lot of traffic in and out, and. Uh, I was looking this whole shed over. I'd actually pulled my truck over on my way home from work and was uh, saw what I thought was a new tree sign, and started following up the creek. And I got up there and uh, and uh, all of a sudden I was looking at this and I and I had a a feeling that I was in a wrong place at a wrong time. Mm-hmm. And I and I turned to my left and I thought I saw what was a tree stump, and then it rotated forward and moved towards me uh, quadrupedally uh, like a gorilla would.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: uh came within about 30 feet of me. And um, and I w- was, you know, the cat who ate the canary kind of thing. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I looked at it and I go, bad monkey. And um, he never made a n- noise or anything, but he expanded his chest. And um, it went a long ways when he expanded it. Wow! And uh, I was kind of torn between being scared, but then standing there amazed that it was the most awesome sight I had ever seen. Oh wow! That close. And uh, about that time, there were two noises going on in the brush around me, and I'm thinking that we had three there. And in the processes of things, this uh, this team worked me out of the area. But um, I know it was a male. <laughs> Uh, would rather not get into publicly how I knew it was a male.
1: <laughs> but uh I think I can figure that out. Yeah,
3: I, yeah. So uh <clears throat> so uh it's just uh and it was again it was one of those things where I had my camera phone but I was more worried about calling somebody to make sure they knew where my vehicle was parked <laughs> in case I didn't get out of there.
2: Oh my god. So it
3: was real similar wow. to how chimps chimps uh herd prey uh one would move forward i would stop and look at it uh the other two would take turns moving ahead and around me and uh I, I only got a glimpse of of some hair through some brush on on what i assumed was the other two and uh at that point in time i uh that was the last time i actually went squatching by myself i don't go solo anymore and i rarely go at night
2: did you say how close that encounter was
3: it was 25 feet or so from me. Wow. Um, got a very good look at his eyes.
2: Uh, um, and it was daylight.
3: It was daylight. It was, uh, I, uh, we've, I've developed a theory that the males kind of tend to work a perimeter and, uh, the females and the young kind of stay to the inside of that perimeter. And, uh, the males kind of cruise it and watch it to kind of protect the rest of the troop. So that's, uh, Theory I'm working on right now, and uh, I think I got a little close to where everybody was taking their naps, and the watcher kind of got me.
2: Ah, okay. We got a caller from uh, East Tennessee. Yep.
0: Hello. Yeah. Uh,
2: Hello. Is the caller there?
4: Yes, yeah, Stan. Eight hey, bait.
2: Oh, hi, eight bait. Hi. You. <laughs> hey, Do you buddy. have a question for Momo? No,
4: uh, just. You know, a comment, you know, we share a lot of, you know, the same uh, theories and practices. And uh, I'm really impressed with it, uh, the face-to-face and, uh, you know, the ability to get out and look at the sign and track them down.
2: <laughs> All right.
4: Bring come in close.
2: You
3: know, what amazes me about the tree sign I've got research friends from a couple other organizations and uh, and we're all the time sharing photos and that's the similarity between structures mm-hmm. and uh, we've been finding what I call a hut uh, it'll be a four or five or six post uh, structure with branches woven in on top of it and it, there won't be like real thick but i've I've found three of those in the areas that I look at, and they're all twenty five to thirty miles apart and i I've, I've got a friend in 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 New Jersey who has documented two or three of the exact same type of structures i mean almost identical in design, almost identical in build and and uh you know and that's that's what amazes me about this is just how similar the behaviors are you know across the board. And uh, you know, there's there's consistency there. It it does reveal things about their behavior. Uh, you know, I'm still currently trying to decipher some of that. <laughs> um, like the bow trees, everybody tries to make them out to be a mystery. Personally, I think they're bowing them over and setting logs on top of them so their little ones can eat.
4: Uh, that's how we find them. Uh, and. There. They're bowed over and held down by some means, Mm. you know, stuck under another branch or, you know, other logs piled on top of them.
2: Right, and I think Lowrider would agree with you guys there, too, because he's got a lot of things um, that he looks at just like that. The younger saplings are bowed bowed over, and all the, the shoots and leaves are eaten off.
3: Exactly. They're stripped totally bare of any kind of leaf or vegetation. And the same way with the snaps. And then um, what I've, you know, and then you find the other what I call web type structures, you know. And I think they're there to trip deer up. To be honest with you, oh, because there's there's normally something else that's around that area. They're hardly ever there by themselves. That I found in my area. I don't know about you, Abe, but uh, where I've been, they've, they've they're always other structures, normally within two or three human steps of where you find a structure similar to that. I don't know if you're finding the same thing or not.
4: You can, uh, you know, you find one and you start looking around and, you know, you see something that catches your eye. And, you know, most of the time, you know, it's another manufactured structure. You know, it's not uh, due to weather or anything. And uh, the web design you talk about, I've only seen a couple but it's you know, right on, you know, a deer game trail. Yeah, always. Almost always. And uh so like I said, they're 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 they're
3: starting to reveal little things about their behavior and um what they what they do to get by in their little world, how they shop for groceries. And, and uh and uh you know and and, and you know it, what i've discovered in my own research is every time i find something new it creates a whole new set of questions i didn't even know i needed to ask mm-hmm. we're, we're almost to the point right now i think where we find new knowledge we find new evidence that we don't know quite what it means yet and, and it creates a whole another step back in in what we need to do in our research and uh you know, and until then, you know, I get out in the woods, I look around, and I let this magnificent North American great ape teach me what it is that I need to know. So that's kind of the the whole bare bones of, of what I do and, and how we do it.
2: And, and we appreciate you sharing that with us, and it gives us uh, more validation that these creatures actually do exist. You know, there's a lot of people who don't want to believe, but people have stories and that, but to have your ongoing research and to share it with us. It just makes us all one step closer to solving this phenomenon.
4: Well,
3: I tell you, it's, it's a real privilege to be a part of this MABRC team or, uh, you know, family. And, uh, because, uh, I do a lot of stuff with DO up here and, uh, Clinker and I have got an opportunity. We've had an opportunity to get out in the field. Some, uh, she's a wonderful teacher and, uh, and she's pretty savvy out in the woods, and I really learned a lot from her the day we were out there. And, uh, and uh, but we've 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 got quite a team assembled just around the Kansas City area between Great and Pete and I, everybody. And uh, you know I we've it's the first time I've ever been in that situation where I'm not totally by myself. I can make a couple of phone calls, and I've always got a couple of people that's more than willing and ready to go. So, and uh, good people too, not just not just hanger-ons.
0: Awesome.
2: All right. Well, thank you very much, Scott, for calling in and giving us your insights. And we're going to take a short break here, and we'll be back with a bait And we'll be back in two minutes. Being conducted by its researchers? Then check out the official MABRC forums where all the MABRC members hang out and discuss their research. Not only that, but the MABRC forums has much more information in its Aussie database about Bigfoot than any other website or forum. And the MABRC forums also maintains the largest sightings database ever assembled online and growing bigger daily. From galleries of newspaper clippings, hair samples, sketches, and more, you could spend hours just looking at the vast galleries hosted there. Chat rooms are provided so that you can interact with the researchers asking real-time questions and getting real-time responses back. So hurry on over and join the forum today at www.mid-americabigfoot.com phpbb3. You won't be disappointed. The Maybrick hosted the second annual Bigfoot Conference at Hanover, Oklahoma, and the house was rocking with a special guest appearance by Dr. Jeff Meldrum and some fantastic presentations. What's that? You missed it because of those high fuel prices? Well, don't fret, my friend. The Maybrick has produced a set of DVDs featuring many highlights of the weekend, and now you, too, can watch from the comfort of your own home. Visit www.mid-americabigfoot.com slash phpbb3 and find out how you can order your copy today for only $19.95. Shipping and handling included. Thank you. on the line, and he's from... Yay, she muted me. Okay. Uh, i fixed fix you now. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the second half of the Bigfoot Field Guide radio show. I'm your host, Sharon Lee, along with our co-host, Dre. Jeff couldn't be here with us today. We have a very exciting interview. That was great talking to Momo about his experiences. And we have Ape Bait on the line. He's going to be our main interview today. Ape Bait comes to us from... East Tennessee, Georgia area. Stan, are you there?
4: Uh, sure am. Good evening, ladies.
2: Good hey. evening. So how about you start out, give us a little bit of history there, and uh, tell us, how did you get into Bigfooting?
4: Uh, he found me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife and I were always going into the woods, uh, camping, uh, building campfires on weekend nights or you know nights through the week whenever we had off. And uh, we would hear these strange noises, uh, animal noises, tree breaks and stuff. And sometimes we'd ignore it, but sometimes it was kind of bad and it'd kind of freak us out. And we would leave. Uh, I always thought that you know Bigfoot was you know, skunk ape in Florida, and you know Patty up in the Northwest. Uh, I never really thought about them being around here, and. A few years later, um uh, had an incident happen. We were going to build a campfire. Uh, my wife heard a growl, and I didn't hear it. I ignored it. So we start building our campfire. She says, I hear that growl again. Mm. And she said, it's very deep and guttural. It sounds like a tiger. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you're
4: probably hearing a coon or something. So um, I get the fire started. And we sat down, hear it growl again. That time I heard it. Okay, so (laughs) I put some more wood on the fire, and I have a softball-sized rock get lobbed at me out of the woods. Land's about six feet from me. I've got it here on my desk, as a matter of fact.
2: Oh, a souvenir.
4: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, when you fork, we knew for a fact we were the only ones on the mountain that night. Wow. And I really didn't know how to take it. I just kind of went back and sat down in the chair, and I thought, you know, what just happened? Got a rock thrown at me. And she said, we need to leave. And (laughs) so we left. (laughs) (laughs) And about a month or two later, my brother, uh, Jay, North Georgia, Bigfoot hunter, he was up there, and he had a road crossing, you know, in his headlights, and he called me, he said, you won't believe this, you No, know, I saw a Bigfoot up there, and, we, you know, we got to talking later, and, you know, we started putting two and two together, all the incidents we've had happen in the past, and, you know, been hooked on it ever since.
2: And um, how long ago was that?
4: Um, the rock throwing incident was in 2004. In
2: 2004, and then since uh, Jay had his cross road crossing, you guys decided we're going to get into this a little bit deeper. Yeah. So what was your next step?
4: Um, getting a night vision, and you know, getting up there as much as possible. Um, I got a parabolic a little later. You know, we'd get out and we started reading up on the tree formations and stuff, and we started finding them. And we'd look, we'd document them, and then we'd look at uh, natural weather breaks and things like that and try to decipher it, all that. And as it turns out, we'd find trails um, They would be in line, and we found that the dominant or the biggest limb or tree Always pointed in a east west direction on top of the mountain where we were at, and it just so happened that on top of the mountain you go east to where the uh, pointer, you know, was aimed at. It would actually take you down the valley into another hotbed area that we found that you know we'd called home central.
2: Uh-huh. The living room. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what do you call your mountain that you go to?
4: Oh, Monkey Mountain.
2: Monkey Mountain. And yeah, I know a couple years ago you had um, a little mini expedition with a couple MABRC members, and that was—I read that one and I just laughed so hard. You got to tell about that.
4: Oh, uh, the uh, expedition. Yes. Oh, uh, you're talking about the. Uh, whammy and jay got the, the jeebers scared out of them
2: <laughs> now tell us how you set up the camp and um what you guys did because you did some interesting things that i i've used once or twice and i haven't had any results but you guys did with the tennis balls and that
4: oh yeah we uh we were actually in three different vehicles um and we were in a acre acre and a half plot there's a meadow right up against the woods and we kind of spaced all three camps out a little bit, you know, by several yards. But, you know, we had the main campfire and the tarp and everything in central location. But we uh, had them set up a little distance apart in case, you know, activity at night. We kind of watch each other. But uh, we uh, integrated tennis balls. Uh, We got to thinking, well, you know, they throw things at us, let's, you know, throw something back at them it was uh, <laughs> discussed it with some members here on the uh forum you know before we did it and no oh, hey let's give it a shot and i carried a big bag of tennis balls up there and the night that we got followed back to camp i just you know lobbed you know tennis balls out into the woods and they're pretty thick and heavy and as it turned out the next morning one was actually back out in the open area and I, I didn't carry the bag down to that area and none of that stuff was so thick that you know it couldn't bounce several yards back out into the open area out of the woods so <laughs> They did yeah. throw one back for us.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, did you um, bait the area?
4: Uh, we put out apples, and we didn't. You always forget something. We didn't photograph the arrangement of okay. the apples. You know before uh, we set them up, but later we found evidence to where you know the apples were taken. And I had a game camera, but we actually set it up, you know, in the woods behind the tents. We had noisemakers rigged around the perimeter of the site. Um, They didn't mess with that. They kind of followed a tree line opposite of the tents and the woods behind us.
2: Okay, I have to take a step back, and um, you met Whammy through the MABRC, and uh, you guys made your arrangements to go on this expedition. He was going to come out from Ohio, and tell me how you met him at the airport.
4: Uh, uh, Frank Sobsack and I, uh, Digger, uh, he hooked up at my house, so we went to the airport to pick Whammy up. But up to that point, uh, the home base, you know, the living room, we call it the hot spot, down in the valley, there was this huge hole in the side of the mountain, a cave, uh, four foot tall, four foot wide, you know, big enough for something to use, and every time we've approached that hole, we would get very aggressive calls, limb breaks, screams, and everything, so we got to thinking, you know, hey, this is, you know, a denning area or something, nursery, something. But we always got run out every time we got near that hole.
2: What do you mean run so, out?
4: Uh, ag- uh, aggressive behavior toward us.
2: You could I see them?
4: Several. Uh, we saw them on a few occasions. but uh, It's a real weird topography. It's like straight up and down gullies. And the trail is at the bottom of one of these gullies. And the hole was actually in the side of one of the hills. And it's very thick and straight up. And every time we'd get around that, we'd get distraction calls from behind us, trying to lead us away from it. Uh, we'd get up to it, get screamed at. Trees, 30 foot tall, would start shaking. Okay. And it, well, you know, like you're getting surrounded. And... We believe there's three to five individuals up there at any given time.
2: And then um, you made your report at the MABRC, right?
4: Yeah.
2: And then did Whammy get a hold of you?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was really interested in joining up. And, and then he uh,
2: then he came out.
4: Mm-hmm. But we always always uh, teasing people, you know, grease you up with bacon grease and send you down the hole. So, at the airport, Frank and I show up. We've got uh, bacon
0: packages.
4: (laughs) You know, we didn't know what he looked like. He didn't know what we looked like. So, we didn't tell him or anything. So, you know, we're at the uh, Chattanooga Airport and at the uh, lobby, and the Charlotte plane is disembarking. And we see this guy coming with a backpack and, you know, all kinds of stuff, and that's got to be him. So we just stand there, you know, with mile-wide smiles, holding up the uh, bacon packages, and if you could could have seen the looks on his face.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And all the other people at the airport. (laughs) Yeah, they
4: were wondering what's this about, but they thought it was a a meat convention or
2: something. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. We're not gonna go into that. No. <laughs> not trail baloney. <laughs> so So then you guys get back to your you set up your camp, you set out the bait. Um did you set out any trail cams at that time?
4: Uh we had one and we put it behind the tent area in the woods and didn't get nothing. Uh, of course it's a low end camera. But uh we actually had left over uh, steak scraps, you know, from supper. Mm-hmm. You know, we just knew that would lure in something, but, you know, um, the apples worked better that night.
2: And so then you set you set up the camp, you set up your bait, you have your trail cam going, and um, it's probably getting a little late. Was it the first night that you guys decided to go out and do the, uh, the night hike?
4: Oh, yeah, we actually went out uh, both nights. Uh, okay. The fr- Friday evening we got there, it was... Oh, uh, horrible weather. <laughs> it had been raining all day, drizzly, uh, just horrible. And the overcast, and the mountains like 2,500, 3,000 feet elevation, so we were in the clouds, and it was pitch black.
2: Yeah, there's and, no lights from the city or anything.
4: No, uh, and the first night we went out, uh, we went out for a while, but uh, the rain picked back up, and it got horrible. So we just pretty much went back to the camp and talked Bigfoot and got acquainted with each other. But uh, the Saturday night, the second night, was a thrill ride, an absolute thrill ride.
2: Wow. So tell us how that started out.
4: Yeah, we uh, started at about 9.30 that night. Uh, It was still foggy and pitch black, but thankfully the rain had stopped and we were really itching to get out and do something that night because the weather forecast said it was going to improve. And so we headed out and we walked and walked and walked and all of a sudden it sounded like all hell broke loose. (laughs) You could hear limbs crashing. A couple of guys screaming and, you know, what the blank and all this. And after all the commotion, we settled down. Um, We scared up a bird of some kind, an owl, a vulture, a turkey, something. Mm. But whatever that was, it got the attention of our friends up there. And started walking a little later, we could hear the brush and stuff in the woods on each side of us would stop. You know, you're walking in the woods, you get a false echo type thing. A lot of people think something's falling on them. When it's not, it's just a echo.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I had a parabolic. We would stop and we would still hear the leaf litter and stuff move and it was bipedal and it would pace. I could follow it with the parabolic pacing back and forth. So we would draw our attention to one side of the trail or the other and something would happen behind us. So we would take care of that and focus back on the original point. Well it's not there anymore. They used diversion Teamwork to distract people. So, you know, the other one can move and stay out of sight. Um, we had each other's curiosity, and it had more. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, I just about had to sneeze. Mm-hmm. The pollen.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: But we uh, kept walking some more, and these things were staying with us, and you could hear grunts, noises like that, no loud vocalizations or anything. But we were kind of whistling and you know, grunting back, trying to get something going on. And um, I actually had the uh, Sierra Sounds uh, CD with me in my backpack and a boombox and uh, I've had some pretty hairy things happen with that and I was told under no means to take it out and play it at that point. Oh wow. I, I would be pretty much lynched.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't
4: do that. <laughs> But uh, after going a while we decided to start making our way back to camp and we would 50, 75 yards and stop, observe while they were staying with us so uh, my brother and Whammy went on back to the camp after we had done that several times and Frank and I decided to hang back and we kind of we thought we were hid we got down near a pond and we hunkered down near some rocks and we were hearing them uh, we put out glow sticks out on the trail. We threw them to see if we could see something cross in front of the glow sticks. It's a pretty good idea uh, yeah brought them up. Um, you know they're not like really bright, but you know they glow enough if something you know crosses between it and you you know you will notice, Yes. Yeah. but uh, we were observing that, and we had a loud oh. grunt huff uh, right at us so <laughs> we decided it was time to go Too.
0: <laughs>
4: we hooked up back with the guys and uh, we all had a cup of coffee, talked about everything and a couple of us decided to go back out and we had uh, Frank he observed a, a dark form in some trees and uh, he was focusing on it and I was actually going around the other side of the tree line with my parabolic and it was just absolutely pitch black dark and I was just kind of feeling my way walking just relying on my parabolic and I got uh, around the bend and every now and then I could see Frank's little light so I thought it some point we would meet up with each other. Well, uh I had something run up at me on the trail. Um, I didn't think to turn on my light or anything. I just turned tail and went back to camp. At that point Frank had heard me running up the hill and he What's wrong? What's wrong? And I come over, I said, Did you just bum rush me or something? No, I mean, there's no way I can rush you look at me, <laughs> you know, but uh, we believe that the form that he was focused on and observing in the tree line, I actually might have come up behind it or caught it by surprise, and it it come running up at me.
2: Wow, it
4: was a real fun night.
2: <laughs> So that was a thrilling experience. Now, did you have a experience recently?
4: Uh, yeah, uh, just a few weeks ago. It, this winter has been so horrible and slow and cold. It has. I uh, really haven't done much. I get out in the vehicle and you know, set and observe for a while and freeze, so we really haven't done much. But uh, it started turning warmer down here, and, wife and I actually decided to go build a campfire one night I just happened to grab up my gear that night Uh, I usually wander around the perimeter of the campsite and listen and look while she sits by the fire she really enjoys the fire but um our usual place was taken up by campers so we continue on down the trail and um just gently rolling heels, not very big, but when you top one and start coming down uh, over the peak of it, you light up the other hill. Right. And, and uh, my Jeep, uh, I've got two 100-watt spotlights mounted on the bumper, and I had them on, and I actually had a road crossing. <laughs> my wow. I'm a horrible judge of accurate distance, but I would say it was within, you know, 75 yards. Um, it was um, not very tall, maybe five feet, no more than six feet.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And he just shot across the road in, you no know, less than two or three strides. And... Only seen the basic outline and shapes of them. I've never seen, you know, facial facial features, you know, other than eye shine. But uh, it's amazing to me how large their heads are.
2: Really, even though they people say that it's it's right on top of their shoulders, you can see a large head.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, like a basketball, you know, plop down on the shoulders. Is about the best way I can describe it.
2: Wow, it is big. But
4: uh, uh, this one, you know, it had the same body form as you know some of the other occasions where I've observed them in the night vision. And so we pulled over, and these these are ridges. Uh, the way we were going, there's a ridge to the left, and then the just level enough for the trail, and then a slope to your right. It's just rolling hills and gullies, mm. and, and it's all heavily wooded. So uh, we pulled over, and I got out the night vision and the, the parabolic, and we sat there for like an hour, and I didn't have anything else happen.
2: Hmm. That's how it is sometimes. Uh...
4: Yeah. We could hear a creep down at the bottom of that gully. So, you know, maybe he was headed there anyway.
0: Yeah.
2: So do you plan on having another expedition coming up this year?
4: Oh, uh, I truly hope so. I truly hope so.
2: I know that you were uh, planning on having one, but then a bunch of other researchers kind of found out about your area.
4: Yeah. um, We've had... I don't have a lot of bad luck up there when it comes to wanting the mountain to ourselves. Used to, you could go up there any day of the week and, you know, be the only one up there. And it's just uh, here lately, you know, the place is packed. Um, There's a lot of BFRO reports, you know, um, on that mountain. And uh, I've actually given away the location a couple of times, you know, here on the forums. But um, I don't think we have anybody local here, you know, on mm. forums. But um, there are BFRO reports. Uh, there are a few. And um, another thing that uh, I've kind of observed is, you know, with the housing crash and, you know, everybody filing bankruptcy and stuff, a sad situation. But you go up there and you see the same people. Know, it doesn't matter if it's a Wednesday a Monday or Friday or a Saturday um some people are actually living you know up there now,
2: oh wow, yeah mm, interesting. that's gonna cramp your style,
4: yeah, well, I mean, I'd love to talk to them but
1: yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they may have some good stories, yeah, yeah, they might have befriended them,
4: yeah i mean i'd I'd love to spend five straight you know days and nights, you know researching
2: right well that was very informative thank you very much for calling in that was a faith scan out of Georgia he gave us a great experiences. to talk to us and I guess Trey's ready to wrap it up here. (laughs) (laughs) A little quick on the button there. A little quick on the button there, and she had Roy Rogers. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Annie Oakley with the trigger there. (laughs) I finally get it right. I don't know. (laughs) Well, as I was saying, it was nice for Eight Bait to give us a call and tell us all of his good stories. They're very exciting. I I I love tonight's show because we were having actual experiences from our very own members. And just to show how how we do share our information here at the MABRC and we try to help each other learn from each other, like the tennis ball trick that um, I read in um, 8 Bait's thread was like so cool. I've tried that too. I didn't have any results, but I thought, why, why not? You know, that's great. And with 8 Bait and Momo having some of the same experiences in two different parts of the country just makes you wonder, you know, how many of these things are out there and you know, what? the more that we learn from each other, we could probably try the same things and get the same results. And also, yeah, Lowrider has also, when we go out and we find the stick formations, he always notes they are always going east to west, and that's another little phenomenon to think about when you're out there. Oh, interesting. Yeah, well, we're going to wrap it up this evening. We've gone a teeny bit over schedule, but that's okay because it's always fun to be here with you all. And Thanks, guys, Thanks guys. Yes, for doing those interviews. That was great. Thank you very much. And we have the, like I said, the Memorial Day expedition is coming up May 22nd through the 25th. If anyone is interested in attending, they need to contact DW at the MABRC website. And we look forward to meeting a whole bunch of new people out there. It's going to be great. It's going to be a good Amen. time. We're going to have some remote locations. We're going to be spread out. It's, it ought to be good research. All right, and we're going to wrap this up, and thank you for listening to the Bigfoot Field Guy radio show. All right, later, taters. (laughs) Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Bigfoot Field Guide Radio Show. Join us next time for another exciting hour of Bigfoot Chat. You can listen to this podcast by joining us online anytime at wwwmid bigfootcom and clicking on the link to the Maverick Forum. This show has been brought to you by the Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center, where researchers continue to think outside the box. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon.